Well, as we said this morning, we're starting off a brand new series. It's called The Miracle of Mercy. And it's our goal through this series to really take a look to understand what God's mercy is truly all about. And I think before we get started, we kind of need to set a baseline or a foundation in understanding what mercy is. So looking through some definitions, looking through the the Bible, I was able to come up with a very simple working definition. And it's printed at the very top of your outlines, and it'll be up here on the screen behind me. But I think the best way that we can define mercy is as this. It's undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. That mercy is undeserved forgiveness and it's unearned kindness. You see, when somebody forgives you and you haven't deserved it, well, that's mercy. And when someone shows you kindness and you haven't done anything to earn it, well, that's them showing mercy to you. And the Bible says that God wants to show you mercy every single day of your life. In fact, we need mercy every single waking second of our life, if we're honest with ourselves. And this is something that's so important to God, and we know that because looking it up, it's mentioned over 281 times in Scripture. That's a lot of times. It's right up there with the word love in which God's trying to use. And so God's saying, look, I want to show you mercy. I want to show you grace. I want to show you all of these things. All you have to do is look at the very ministry of Jesus himself, And you'll see that every single person that he encountered, he showed mercy to. I couldn't find a single person anywhere in scripture where Jesus did not extend to them some form of mercy. So this morning and through this series, I want to take a look at two stories. Two stories of people that Jesus encountered and he showed them mercy. And I picked these two stories because I think that we can really relate to the actual emotions that are being expressed behind these stories. There are emotions that every single one of us can relate to because we tend to focus on these more and forget the fact that God is extending his mercy to us. So if you look at your outlines, there's three little blanks, and I want you to fill these in before we go any further. The three emotions that we get caught up in and sometimes make us forget the fact that God's showing us mercy are this, shame, anger, and fear. Shame, anger, and fear. When you're ashamed of something that you've done, or when you're angry at how something was done or how something wasn't done, or when you're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen next. See, at some point in our life, all of us find ourselves entrapped by these feelings. We find ourselves in a situation where we're engulfed and we're living in this situation, but it's important for us to know that God says, look, despite the way that you feel right now, I still want to show you mercy even though you're caught up in yourself and you may not deserve it. And so that's really what we're going to seek to understand through this series, this idea of how shame, anger, and fear relates to our understanding of how God wants to show us mercy every single day of our lives. So let's just jump right into this. We're going to be focusing on this question, why do I need God's mercy? Or when do I need God's mercy? So if you look at your outlines, your first major fill in the blank is this. We need God's mercy simply when I've messed up. We need God's mercy when I've messed up. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll be able to recognize that every single one of us has messed up at some point in our life. We are sinners. We live in a broken and a fallen world. We're not perfect. We are imperfect people. and We're all prone to make mistakes. In fact, I probably stopped being perfect about the third breath of my life, if I can narrow it down somewhere. But when we look at it, this is how it truly is, is that we all live in this idea that we think we want to be perfect, 
but we continually mess up, and it invalidates the fact that we are perfect because Jesus Christ was the only one who was perfect. And I've never met anybody in my life who says, or says they've never sinned, that they've never done anything wrong, or that they've never made a mistake, because if they did say that, I'd have to call them out on it. I'd have to say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Because look what the Bible even says about this. Actually, I don't have a scripture, but it's 1 John 1, 8. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, if we say that we haven't sinned, we're just being self-deceptive. And the ironic part about all of this is that everybody else knows that you don't have it all together either because they're in the same exact situation trying to make themselves look good and make people think that they're perfect. So we need to stop lying to ourselves. We need to stop being deceptive to ourselves and accept the fact that we do mess up from time to time. But even though we mess up, you know what? God extends his mercy. God extends his grace to us. Look what it says in James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Have you ever stumbled with your words, with your actions, with your thoughts, with your feelings, with your emotions? Yeah, We've all stumbled. We all stumble in many ways and we mess up. And when we stumble, we become trapped and we become entangled in these lies and in these sins that we commit over and over and over again. And it's this trap that the world has set for us that we find ourselves constantly in. But do you know how God responds to us when we stumble and when we fall? He responds to us with mercy, even though we don't deserve it. So I want to take a look at our first story this morning. It's a story of a a woman that Jesus encounters. And this woman, she's living in shame, and she's afraid of the situation that's rapidly changing around her. But it's so fascinating to see how Jesus responds to her. So it comes from John chapter 8. And if you look at the screener in your Bibles, it says this, starting in verse number 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so they might have grounds for accusing him. See, the Pharisees, they were these religious scholars. They were legalists. They were judgmental. They hated Jesus. They wanted to do whatever they could to get him removed from their presence, including trying to trap him. And we actually see two traps being set here. The first was the trap of this woman who was caught in adultery. And the second is this trap of Jesus Christ to see how he's going to respond, how he's going to react to this situation. And I think what we can pull from this portion of the story is this. The reality is that this world is out to trap you. This world is out to trip you up. Because you're a Christian, because you identify yourself as a Christ follower, the world's going to do whatever it can to discredit you, to try to make you doubt your faith, to make you have worries and try to tangle you up in these lies and these sins in your life. And we have to step back and ask ourselves the question, what is it that I'm currently trapped in? What is it that I find myself tumbling and stumbling over and over and over again in? You know, maybe it, it, it's, it could be anything in your life. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's this idea of judgmentalism. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe, you know, it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's a bad work investment. 
Maybe it's some secret habit that you have in your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's looking for approval from the world. And I think that one's huge because we all seek to belong. We all want to fit in somewhere and we keep seeking and reaching and trying to find approval that the world will never give us. Jesus Christ is the only one that can truly give us the approval that we need. And this woman is about to experience this firsthand. Continuing on in the story, if we pick up the next verse, it says this, but Jesus, he stooped down and with his finger, he began to write in the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. I like this story because here's all this crowd. Jesus is in the middle of all these people yelling and chanting in this world. Who, this woman who's probably kneeling and crying on the floor and he's listening to everything. And he just stoops down and just starts doodling in the sand, right? He's just writing it with his finger in the dirt. And they're probably thinking, what is this guy doing? He's not even listening to the accusations that we're bringing against this woman. And nobody really knows what Jesus is writing because the Bible doesn't tell us. Some people think maybe he's writing the Ten Commandments, but how cool would it be as if he's actually writing the sins of the people in the audience? Judgmentalism, arrogance, blasphemy, self-deception, spousal abuse, tax evasion, hypocrisy, all of these things, right? And then he stands up and he's like, look, if none of you have committed a sin, go ahead and be the first one to throw a stone. He cuts right to the heart of the matter. And I think one of the important things that we need to see here too is that in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of all the accusations, Jesus never once works against this woman. You see, he protects her dignity. He protects her dignity. Had she done wrong? Yeah, of course she had done wrong. She had committed adultery. She had been unfaithful to her husband. But Jesus still stands up for her even though she had messed up and he treats her with dignity. And the thing that we need to pull away from this is that if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if we are to belong to the family of Christ, we need to model his lifestyle. We need to say, God, I'm going to treat everyone with dignity just as you have done. Because God's treated you with dignity and God has treated me with dignity. Doesn't matter their religious background, doesn't matter their political beliefs, doesn't matter their ethnicity, their race, their gender. No, Jesus treated everyone with dignity that he encountered, and he showed mercy to every single person that he encountered. And he wants to do the same for us. And this woman was receiving this dignity and this mercy of Jesus Christ. But look how the story continues on, picking back up in verse 9. It says, straightening up. I'm sorry, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. So after he had said this, all the people, they just get up and they skedaddle. They, they just leave, they're gone. And it's just Jesus now left alone with this woman in this setting, where he can now address the true issue at what's at heart here. And look how Jesus responds. He says this, straightening up, Jesus said to her, women, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. He says, look, you're better than this. You know better than this. He doesn't give her some 10-point sermon illustration on adultery. He doesn't condone her. He doesn't condemn her. No, you know what he does? He changes her. He gives her a chance. He says, look, all that stuff in the past, it's gone. 
I'm not holding it against you. They're not holding it against you. But from now on, go and sin no more. See, the mercy of God changes your life. And it's the only thing that happens when you accept his mercy. So what really happens when we get the mercy of God when we've messed up? Well, if you look at your outlines, your next little fill in the blank is this. God's mercy, it forgives us and it frees us. God's mercy, it forgives me and it frees me. It forgives me of my past sinful guilts and it forgives me and frees me to be able to make better decisions and live a better future. See, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He says, I want to forgive you. I want to free you. It's the very reason why I am here. Looking in John chapter 12, verse 47, it says this, I have come to save the world and not to judge it. You see, if you come to God with your habits, with your hurts, with your hangups, your failures, your pain, your frustration, God says, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to set you free because that is what my mercy does. Because that is what I want to give to you even though you don't deserve it in your life right now. And that's just one of the ways that God's mercy really impacts our lives. Here's the second one we're going to look at this morning. If you look at your outline, second blank is this. We need God's mercy when I don't have what I need. I need God's mercy when I don't have what I need. See, the fact of the matter is this. All of us are imperfect. All of us have parts of our life where we're lacking. We don't have certain talents. We don't have certain skills. We don't have certain resources. We don't have all the things that we need in our life. But God did that intentionally because he wants us to be able to reach out and relate to him, to reach out and say, God, I know that I can't do this on my own and I need to rely upon you to help me in my moment of need. And rely on me looking for others in support of my church family and pastors and friends and family. God, I know that you have built me for relationships because that's who you are in my life. And sometimes when we realize that we don't have all that we need, we become angry. We become afraid because we think, well, what if I'm not able to make ends meet? What if I'm never going to get the things that I truly need. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm angry because I don't have what I feel like I should have. And the more that we start to realize this, the more angry we become because we see that there's more and more and more that the world says that we need that we never get. And we become this angry, this bitter, and this disappointed person on the inside. But the truth is this, that if we keep relying on ourselves to provide our needs rather than God, we're going to have a very small life. It's going to be a life that's just revolving around anger and bitterness and frustration and disappointment time and time again. And this is just like the next person that Jesus meets in my final story. It comes from John chapter 5. Jesus encounters a man who is full of rage and anger and bitterness and disappointed in his life. So if you look, starting with John chapter 8 verse 2, it says this, now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which was a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. And these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, the man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 
So there's a lot of people who are ill, who are diseased, who may be disabled in some manner, who have now gathered around this pool. And they're waiting for the Spirit to come down and stir up the waters to get this healing. And there's this one man who's been there for 38 years. I don't know about you, but I think that's a long time to wait for a miracle to happen in your life. And I think that a lot of us can relate to this man. Because we've been sitting by pools of our own in our own life, waiting and waiting and waiting for God to provide that miracle, for God to provide that healing, to provide that need that we're desperately looking for, and we haven't experienced it yet. And it fills us with this anger, with this bitterness, with this rage, with all these things that are going on inside of our lives. And we're confused because we're holding on to this idea that it's going to happen, but we're holding on to the anger because it hasn't happened yet. And the question we have to ask is, what is that need in my life that I'm holding on to, that I'm looking for someone or something in this world to provide? Because the fact is that you're going to be disappointed if you're doing that. You're going to be angry. You may be just like this guy who you've been lying by the stinking pool for 38 years waiting for a miracle to happen, but it never comes. And you know why? It's because you're putting your trust and your faith in something other than Jesus Christ. And every single time we put our faith and we put our trust in things of this world, we're going to be let down because sometimes those needs are only things that God can provide. And so we're going to live this life of bitterness, of disappointment, of anger, of frustration. But look how Jesus responds to this situation, picking back up in the next verse. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. When I am coming, another steps down before me. Sounds like a pretty easy question, right? Jesus asked him a straightforward question. Do you want to get well? It's like, of course I want to get well. I've been waiting by this pool for 38 years. I've been here day in and day out, faithfully trusting that the Spirit's going to come, stir up the water, and I'm going to get in this pool. And I am committed to staying here until it happens. Of course I want to be healed. But you know why Jesus really asked this question? He asked it because I think sometimes some of us were afraid to be healed. Because healing means change. It means responsibility. It means I can't rely on other people waiting on me hand and foot. It means that I'm going to have to change things in my life when I receive the healing of God, and maybe I'm not ready to experience that yet. And so God's asking us the same question. If you are suffering, if you got hurt and anger and fear and frustration and rage and disappointment in your life right now, are you ready to truly be healed? Healed in your relationships healed in your faith, to be healed in your walk with God? Are you ready to make that change? Because it's going to be difficult, and it's going to require a new sense of spirit in your life. And so he asked this man this straightforward yes or no question. But this man, he doesn't even respond with a yes or no question. You know how he responds? He responds with bitterness. He starts blaming other people. He says, yeah, God, I want to be healed, but nobody is coming to help me. I physically can't get myself from where I'm at to the pool to receive your healing. It's because of other people that I'm in the reason and the spot that I'm at now. You see, when we're hurt and when we're angry, our first response is to start blaming other people for our problems. Rather than truly saying, God, I'm ready to change. 
God, I'm ready to receive your healing power. And I know that nobody on this earth can do it. That's only by your hand and your intervention. But of course, this guy is angry. Of course, this guy is frustrated. Of course, this guy is disappointed because that's exactly how we would feel if we had been sitting in his same spot. Exactly how we'd be feeling. He's not a very happy man, but still Jesus responds to him with mercy. Look at how Jesus responds. It says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and he picked up his pallet and he began to walk. What had seemed impossible now became possible through God. Everything that he thought was a waste was just sitting and waiting in his life was instantly and miraculously cured because he trusted in the mercy of Jesus Christ to provide what he truly needed in his life. And that's the same thing that Jesus wants to offer to you. But let me pause here and say this. I know that not everybody gets healed in this world. I know that not every prayer gets answered. I know there are many godly people who suffer. There are many godly people who live with chronic pain day in and day out. But what I also know is this, is your last fill in the blank as well, is this, that God's mercy, it makes the impossible possible. God's mercy can make the impossible possible in your life. You see, he can do things that we can't. He has power that we don't have. He has resources that we've never even thought were possible before. He can turn that impossible situation that we think that we're facing into a possible situation because of his mercy. So what is that problem that's in your life? What is the pool that you've been waiting by year after year after year, hoping that someone or something is going to come and change the scenario to change that situation to provide you that healing what is that pool where you say, God, I'm tired of living this way. I'm ready to give up because it's impossible that I will ever be healed or be able to be restored from this thing. Because God wants to tell you this morning, don't give up hope because what's impossible is possible through me. Look what it says in Luke 18, 27. It says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. You see, some problems you're going to have the rest of your life. God's not just going to magically take it away, but you know what he will do? He will give you the strength to endure. He will give you the ability to handle it. He'll give you the mental capacity to work with it and manage what's going on inside of your life because he wants to turn the worst, most impossible situation in your life to something that can change with him. But you have to be ready to receive that change. And look, if you open up your life to Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm ready to start following your ways, I'm tired of living on my own, putting my hope and my faith and my trust when I've messed up and when I've done things or when I'm lacking things in my life. If you're ready to truly say, God, I'm giving it to you this morning, he's going to give you his mercy. But not only that, he's also going to give you a promise. And I love this promise. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, as you get to know Jesus better, he will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly good life life. Notice it says with Jesus Christ, if you ask of him, if you believe in him, he's going to give you everything you need for a good life. It doesn't say everything you greed, everything that you think that you want, everything that your heart desires. It says, no, I'm going to give you what you need to be able to survive in this life. And not just survive, but to have a good life. But you've got to trust in my mercy. 
especially when you need it the most. You see, when you give yourself to God, he gives you mercy. That turns the impossible into something that's possible. So here's the good news as I wrap up. God wants you to be in his forever family. God wants you to be a part of his holy, eternal family, and he wants to offer you his mercy, his forgiveness. He wants to set you free so you can be with him despite what you have done because we serve a God of second chances. And you may ask, well, how do I receive this mercy? How do I get this? Because I am a mess up. I am a screw up in my life. I see all the areas where I have needs and I don't know what to do. I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to make that change. But how do I get his mercy? Well, God tells us exactly how in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. He says, anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and be saved. Do you want to be saved? All you have to do is ask. Doesn't matter what you've done, who you've done it with, how long you've been doing it before in your life. He says, all that I care about is that you come before me, that you bring your hurts, your failures, your hangups, your disappointments, your anger, your shame, your frustration, your fears, and you lay them before me so I can truly give you my mercy and set you free. Because I want to forgive you. I want to free you in your life. But the question is, are we truly ready and are we truly willing to be saved? Would you join me as we close in prayer? God, Father, we just need your mercy. God, we've messed up. God, we've missed out. We know that one day we're going to face you. God, we admit that at times that we've loved other things more than we've loved you. God, we've lived our lives by our own plans and not by yours. God, we want to change that starting here and starting now. God, thank you for being so merciful. Thank you for being so forgiving because we know we don't deserve your forgiveness. God, I don't understand it all, but I thank you for dying on the cross so I can live because only your mercy can save us. God, we can never be good enough to get into that perfect place like heaven. God, we ask you to save us. We ask you to turn that impossible into something possible. Not just save us from hell, God, but from our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, the mess-ups, the mistakes, the sins, the attitudes, everything that just keeps causing us to stumble over and over again. God, thank you for your mercy. And we ask you to accept us into your family, God, to give, you your, to give us your mercy. And we do this because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We love you, Father, and we just give this all to you in your heavenly name. Amen.